eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Today we are here at Chip Ganassi Racing, where I am talking to the most recent winner in the Xfinity Series, Ross Chastain, who's now shaking his head at hearing that title. I guess it yeah. still hasn't sunk in a few days it's, later. It's insane. No, um, it hasn't. We just met with the entire shop. Um, just to, They were kind of just wanted to congratulate everybody on across the board all their teams running well uh you know kyle finishing second jamie running really well in the one car uh we got the win on saturday scott dixon got his fifth championship and um so they just had a little get together there and, and even to hear him say it again and the trophy sitting there and they had me speak and i didn't know they were gonna do that so i was up there rambling on and on <laughs> yeah just thanking them and it's still surreal to drive into this place and see all, I mean, there's so many people that work here. I've never been a part of anything like this with this many people. And they're all staring at me while I got the microphone in my hand on the shop floor. And we're going to go race again this weekend with them. It's insane. So you're standing up in front of 200 people who you just made the second star for this team and won. But mm-hmm. you know how many of those people by name? Not not many. Ten? Um, <laughs> and, I, and I said that to them. I, I said, I know I don't know a lot of y'all but I know that you have a hand in making this car handle and drive the way it does and I really can't ever thank them enough and but yeah this, you know I, I don't know a lot of them and I don't it'll take a while and hopefully I have time to do that well certainly I know it's been a bit of a whirlwind for you you got off the plane at 3 a.m Monday. Monday morning yep. and then you went back and watched both races or yeah. just the Xfinity race okay. uh the Xfinity race uh because when we come back we debrief and and the, that's the other thing is the preparation here it's just different than anything I've ever been a part of. So there's so many people. So yeah, I got off the plane. One, I couldn't sleep. Um, I, I slept on the plane a little bit. Watched that back. Watched some Richmond stuff from the spring. Because um, when I walked in here Monday morning at 10 o'clock and, and just wanted to be as prepared as I could be, I asked a ton of questions. And they kind of roll their eyes at me sometimes. I'm like, look, uh, this is just the way I am. I'm going <laughs> to ask and you're going to get tired of it, but just Y'all forget more things than I know, so <laughs> that's that's the honest truth. What are the questions you're asking them? It's just little things. What Richmond has a curved pit road, so what's the idea there? Do you do you run less speed in the same line? Do you run a wider line in the corner, shorter line? What what are we what are we looking at? They know all that information. Restarts. You know, we've been able to choose our lane a lot. Not been something I've ever had the luxury of doing. So those little things what they expect in practice, what changes they usually go through, what do they look for out of me, uh, the pace falls off so much, what's acceptable fall off, just what's acceptable and what's not. Maybe it's the nerves. I feel my head and my time during the week 
with preparation to cut out the nerves because my stomach has been shot ever since this opportunity came. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna lie, I struggled to sleep, and then last night couldn't sleep again. Uh, was watching film back again for Richmond uh, from last fall. I just felt like when I when I'm nervous, I just try to put my mind on something productive, preoccupying um, yourself and from yeah, worrying. My roommate has a three-screen gaming computer that we run iRacing on and have fun with that. So I had the race up and two in-car cameras on each side, So I, and I had them all synced up at the same time, so I could see the tail of a seventh-place car, I think, had an in-car camera, and then an 18th-place car had an in-car camera. So I learned a lot watching both cars. All the talk about my hand speed, trying to get that slowed down, that's a big problem I have is moving the wheel way too much, my throttle and brake inputs. It all goes out the window when I get back on the track because I'm a very reactionary guy. I, I feel what the car does, and my feet and my hands all react talking with Josh Wise who's a hidden gem here and he knows what these cars feel like he's a very good race car driver he never had the opportunity and he was a lot like me I feel like and you you're scrapping and fighting and and doing so much with teams that you believe in and you feel like you can help Um, but he never got this opportunity and and that's that's just life it's not fair um but man he understands and he, but a lot of times he says do as i say not as i did because <laughs> anything we prepare for if it'll just pop in my head one time during a race one thing it'll be worth all the preparation is it surreal to go back and watch the richmond race and watch chase briscoe his in car like you said he's in 18th place and know that's usually where you are and Friday, that's probably not going to be where you right. are during the course of that race. Right? Yeah, I think we actually ended up maybe 18th. We ran around 15th in the four car in the spring. So, yeah, so we ran around right up. I could see the four car a lot of times in that in car mm-hmm. right up in front of Chase um, most of the race. It, it It is surreal, man, to be the guy lapping cars. It's new. I did a little bit in trucks, but it was a different world then without stages and stuff. Learned a valuable lesson there at the end of stage one. Um, <laughs> will not be letting anybody else buy. That's that is out the window. So I apologize now, but that's um, it's not acceptable here. Since so they <laughs> made and Mike, my crew chief, made that very clear. Did he talk to you again yesterday um, here at the shop? Or on Monday we we talked about it. I I brought it up and, and he kind of apologized for going off like he did. But I was like, no, I that's how you feel. Like don't ever apologize for telling me what you think and how we can be the best we can like we're here to win races like we're we have enough fellowship and and friendship that we're strong enough to you know we're big boys we got our big boy pants on like you know he i didn't realize the owner point situation you know that's who they're fighting is the 18 car so um we got to hold them down if if we get them down so um i just have been in that situation and in the time i'd always wished somebody would just cut that little bit of break it's not going to hurt them Going back to giving Ryan Priest a lap back, like you said, you're not thinking of it in terms of Chip Ganassi Racing fighting Joe Gibbs Racing's number 18 for yeah. owner's points. You're I am now. You are now. <laughs> but at the time, you're thinking, that's Ryan Priest. is right. a teammate of mine at Johnny Davis Motorsports at one time, and I, we've been through the same yep. struggles. I know what he's – I can relate to him, and I just want to help him out. Yep. Him and, and, and Yaley. Um, it's somebody that has been kind of uh, pretty uh, hard to race against. We're both really hard racers. So I try to kill those guys with kindness because like, <laughs> they get aggravated at me. And they don't ever say anything to my face, but I, I know I, I know what they talk about. Um, you can't say anything in this garage without it getting around. And granted, it gets twisted. But you never like when you say something, you never know. Who, if you're standing in the corner of the garage, you don't know who's standing around the corner listening. 
Um, and that's happened. So I just kill them with kindness, man, and just uh, <laughs> smile at them and wave. And yeah, you seem like a very nice guy, Ross. But it seems as if you have been in your share of <laughs> confrontations. For for a guy who comes across as really nice yeah. and really even keel and mild tempered in interviews, when I've seen you do these, I've I've never seen you raise your voice once. You still seem to make a lot of people mad <laughs> on the track. You've been in conversations with you know Brendan Gaughan and Joey Gase and Jeremy Clements and Kevin Harvick was angry a few weeks ago. How does a nice guy like you get into so many confrontations on track? Man, it, it is something I've tried to work on, and I've had this problem my whole life, and my family, each side of the family blames the other side. They <laughs> say it's, it's their side, and my parents are, I, I've never seen them in an argument with anybody. I have uncles and aunts and uh, grandparents that in their time, I mean, they were hot, hot-headed, and, and I, I'm not, I'm super even cute. I feel like until, until you make me mad, and then I I struggle to control that split second. So I I see red, all of a sudden the situation's over, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And, and I've tried to control that. So post Darlington, luckily I had 20 something laps or 30 laps to ride around. We were crashed. I had time to think about what I would say, what the situation was like, kind of go through it all. Granted, when I got out. Jeff here, he grabbed me, Mike Shiplett grabbed me, um, and then TJ, uh, one of the other guys with Spire, they all showed me what Kevin had said and went through kind of what we could say, what they thought was okay to say, and stuff to stay away from, and just talked to me for, it, pr- it probably wasn't a minute, it probably wasn't 60 seconds of just real quick before we got on camera, and I needed that to just think about it because even when I got out of the car I didn't know if I wanted to scream if I wanted to cry like I wanted to just like lay down on the ground and <laughs> like I can't believe this just happened or if I wanted to go find him like go find Kevin and confront him like I just had so much thoughts like in the car I was like alright I'm, I'm okay like I couldn't believe it happened but okay, we'll finish the race we'll be okay and then when I got out it all kind of came rushing to me and I was just like we just gave away this race and, and we got crashed and Luckily, they were there to, in that moment when I needed it most, when I never really had that at the track, to talk. They just were like, listen to us. Read this text. Here's his quote. And listen. Going forward, I need that. I need that guidance on the radio. I need, hey, no, quit. Calm down. I have no friends on the track, and and partly because of the way I race, and I know that. But the way I feel NASCAR race cars run the best is downforce and side force. Air is king. And every car you're ahead of makes your car handle better. So even if I'm a little bit worse than a guy, if I can take away his clean air and give him dirty air, I can probably stay ahead of him. And and so I do fight hard to, to keep position and get position on restarts, even if I know I'm slower. Um, if I can hold on for 10 laps, I can probably stay ahead of him. Guys don't like that. They right. like to single out where they think they should be and go and ride. And, and that is best for them but it's not best for me so you're kind of upsetting the establishment a little bit or what the unwritten rules are about racing you're giving no quarter where other people might provide a little bit of leeway my essentially my first cup race matt in the 32 uh he had had an issue came back out multiple laps down and was faster but we were still in the lead lap and he came up and i raced him hard and and kept him behind me um he got positioned a couple times i could roll right around on his door and, and get back ahead of him had complete confidence in myself and him. We wouldn't crash. Felt like he was multiple laps down. He had nothing to gain. Like he's like 12 laps down, you know, riding around in, in the Dover race trying to finish. So 
came up to me after the race, and he's like, dude, you have so much to learn. We were pretty good friends, and he, like, we can talk to each other, honestly, and he's like, you have, this is Cup, man, you have so much to learn. And I did, and I still do. He's like, you you, you made so many people mad today. You know, you wouldn't get out of the way. Um, and I was racing the 27 car with Paul Menard for the Lucky Dog. I was racing Cole Whit for, you know, later in different stages, um, different people. I said, and, and you were multiple laps down. Not every every car hurts my car to be behind, so no, just ride behind me. It's I'm, I'm not gonna let you by. Well, oh, you're, n- you're you you know, no, you you have to figure this stuff out. This isn't how this works. And I was like, well, I need some coos. I need I need to be able to manage it a little bit better. I know that. And I, I didn't say this to him, but because like, he just walked off, he was all mad. Um, he's a pretty big boy too. There, there's some big boys in this deal. <laughs> he's got some muscles. Yeah, at the man. Does. Yes. So um, <laughs> we're we're good. Um, so it's just taken a little bit of time for me to figure out how to manage different situations and try to think. You know, in the race car, I'm just looking out the windshield, out at the racetrack, at my front fenders, but try to kind of picture the video game style camera view from up above, from behind, to see what is the real picture for. Right my situation. I know you made things right with Jeremy Clements and some of those other guys that you've had issues with. Has Kevin Harvick made amends with you? Have you talked to him? Mm-hmm. No. Any plans there at any point in the future? <sighs> Man, I, don't, I didn't know how to handle it, um, but everybody on my side was on my side. Everybody, you know, and, and we're all biased, um, but we had the honest conversation of should we reach out? And it was like, we don't feel like that's our place. I mean, that's, it's, we're big boys. Like, it's, it was a racing deal. Mm-hmm. The comments after is what really got me more than anything. Obviously, crashing out of the race, feeling like I had control of my car the whole time, and, and he was the one that was struggling and sliding up on the bottom. I could hear him in and out of the gas. Like He was trying to keep it off of me, honestly. I know he was. It was just racing. Mm-hmm. Comments after, yeah, that's what got under my skin more. Um, somebody like that, I feel like if I can control my emotions, I feel like he could too. Um, but he's just that, that's just how he is. Like I, I've grown up watching him. I was there at his first cup win. No, it I don't, you know, obviously we don't rain, run against each other in Cup, and now he's not going to run Xfinity anymore, so probably never race against him again. You know, honestly, and looking at the way my career is, is tracking, probably never never do that. So yeah. I don't yeah. see it being a problem. So on the track, you have no friends, but what he said in that interview off the track, that kind of hurt you a little bit. You told Jeff Gluck in the recent 12 questions that you try to make amends sometimes, and you call the veteran, and you've been told hey, lose my blanking number. So you have no friends on the track, but when you try to fix things off the track and you hear that, that does hurt you. It kind of seems like we wouldn't really be real friends anyway. We'd just kind of be acquaintances (laughs) that smiled and shook each other's hand, but it really wouldn't mean nothing, honestly. You said you've been here the last two days. You were here yesterday for the debrief, and today you addressed the team. Was Chip Ganassi here today? Okay, no. so you still have not met, I've not met him, no. the man no. who owns your car no, no. in person. Okay. Yeah, he's a busy guy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll fit into a schedule whenever whenever the time's right. So they they have an awesome staff here, um, you know, beyond the the business side and the the racing side. Um, you know, sitting down uh, with Doug Ducart. Sit, Doug asked me to come to his office before Darlington and sit down and like just let it happen. What do you mean? He's like just let let the car do the work, let the guys do the work. You just plug yourself in, do your job. And let everything happen the way it's supposed to, and everything will work out fine. We we have the confidence in you. So that was like foot started shaking when he said that, because like <laughs> this is a guy that, I mean, he, he just brings with him so much notoriety and and s- smarts for the business side of racing. 
and he's known so many drivers and and I think I'll probably be the same way with Chip, but probably both feet will be shaken because from what I can tell how Chip is, it's, you know, I want to win races for him. That's my job. I'm not here to take him to lunch. I'm not here to do anything. Like, I, I am here to get in his race car, work with his his employees, and go win races. That's all I want to do for him. That day will come when we meet. He'll probably about crush my hand when we shake hands. <laughs> um they brought me the phone in Victory Lane, and, and I heard his voice, and I was like, oh, man, like, to myself. And uh, that was really cool, you know. Um, out in Sonoma, he he made a comment to somebody in the media, and they tweeted it that he was talking about the Saturday Xfinity race. I was like, what? Like, he's still talking about it on Sunday. That's when he's got an IndyCar championship to win. That's insane. We set this podcast up before you won the Las Vegas race, and I was talking to you a day before that about your origins and your family, and you had something you wanted to correct on your Wikipedia page, and I was looking at your Wikipedia page this morning to see if you were now a, a first-time Xfendi winner, if they had fixed it, and they still haven't. So are you a first-generation driver, Ross yeah, Chastain? Yeah, I am. I am, <laughs> Despite yeah. what Wikipedia says. Right, so if you back up to my dad, he did some hobby racing before I was born. He, he rented, there was a series you could just rent, a race truck. It's called a fast truck. I, I've always liked racing. I'll give it a try. So he drove it around the house and at the farm. And okay, yeah, pretty cool. Got on the gas, got on the brakes. Wasn't a. He didn't really know what he was doing. But okay, so they go to the track. He gets in, and the guy that ran in the truck was there to help him. It was just them two. He gets in, and the guy's like, "All right, put your seatbelts on." And so he's they're late already. Practice is going, and he gets in. He's like, "No, you got to pull them belts tight." The guy reaches in and pulls his shoulder belts tight, and his lap belts tight. And it pulled him back in the seat. And the guy's like, all right, go, go, get out there on practice. Go see what you think. He couldn't reach the pedals. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was just so, didn't know what they were doing. And that's what got me going, was him. And then that's the same series I started in. We went and watched them at the same track. Matt Martin was racing in the Fast Kid class, Mark Martin's son. And he won the race, won the championship. He had Gatorade on the sponsorship on the truck, had a full double stacker trailer with Gatorade, and Mark was there. They got out. They dumped Gatorade all over him, and you know, on the front stretch. And um, he was like my age, I think, close. And I was, my dad's like, "What do you think about that?" I'm, like sitting in the grandstands as they're interviewing Matt. And I was like, "I said I was 12 years old. I was like, I want to, I want to be like Matt. That's cool. Well, we're not gonna have that, but we're gonna. Okay, we'll come back and we'll do it. So, uh, the friend that had raced with my dad when he did it still had his race truck. So we went Sunday morning. We went over there. It was literally left out in his backyard from last time he had raced like eight years before palmettas had grown up palmettas are everywhere down in florida so we took a chain to it and pull it out put some gas in the carburetor charge the battery and it cranks up like what holy cow some two by fours in the seat we go and i drive it around our packing house at the farm on shell uh drive and it's like wow this is i'm like having a blast like driving it and i think i in my head i'm like sliding around and i'm <laughs> and my dad finally after the fifth time around he like walks out and stops me and he's like okay going too fast i need to get you to the racetrack um you're gonna end up hitting a tree or something and you don't have a helmet on so let's you know i just had jeans and a t-shirt on so so we go to the track with a nextel phone and a wired earpiece in my helmet that hooks around the back of your ear and has a little boom speaker like a truck driver would use. And he would beep, talk on the walkie-talkie part of an Nextel and tell me what I was doing wrong. And I could barely hear him because my left ear was open. And uh, that's how we actually ran our first race was with that Nextel. And people were, like, trying to beep, trying to call him on the Nextel from the stand and, like, 
hey, is that Ross out there during the race? And he's like, I can't talk. And he exit out of that, <laughs> click back on my name, beep in, hey, Ross, okay, I'm back. And, and like, I'm out there, and I end up crashing. I was terrible. Uh, that's how we got going. He He's like, I didn't race. I just <laughs> did. I had fun. Right. I spent a couple hundred dollars, rented a race truck. We had fun with it, and we could. that's what we could afford to do. Uh, and my granddad, I told a story one time <laughs> to a local somebody, media person back home when I first started. I was like, yeah, my granddad, he used to drag race. And I called where we're at. I was like, the streets of, like, Buckingham, like, like not, Ill- not illegally. No, not like sanctioned street racing. racing. Yeah. No. <laughs> he just had a hot rod and would go out there. And, and my first race, they wouldn't, my grandparents would not come to. They said it was too dangerous. We crashed. He came over, saw the race truck, saw the seat belts, and was like, if you're going to do this, I'm going to work on it. He was a very good mechanic. He's like, I'm, I'm going to make this safe. I'm going to make sure the wheel bearings don't fall out of it, make sure your seat belts are right, um, fire extinguisher works. Like, I'm going to do all that. He doesn't know anything about setups, but um, they became my biggest fans, and my grandmother as well, um, and they still are. They He did some street racing. So somehow Wikipedia, and, right. and to sum it all up, Wikipedia, I've taken it down twice. I've, I've edited it because it doesn't take nothing to edit Wikipedia page. <laughs> Even I can do it. And change it and it's it pops back up they they go back and they reword it and they put it back in there and i'm like what and then the figure eight boat racing I'm like i hate that that stuff's out there but i don't know how to get it taken down so, so. it says you're a third generation racer on wikipedia and it says you're a figure eight boat racing boat veteran and you've done neither no. <laughs> uh, you're a first no. generation yeah. racer and you haven't figure eight boat race no. okay well we've corrected it for the record yes. hopefully as an xfinity winner wikipedia will now Maybe acknowledge this pull. yeah <laughs> and, and clean things up you're one of the only members of your family here to leave the Fort Myers area. And of course they're all in watermelon farming. And you said after the win that you'll go back to the watermelon farm someday. Why do you want to go back to farming? Like, what is it about farming? Is it just in your blood? I is love it, just it something you guys do? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's a job. It's, it's how we, it's how we live. It's how we've always farmed. I'm an eighth generation farmer. They were in South Georgia then my great-granddad eventually went to South Florida for an earlier crop to try to find a better life. Um, he went down there by himself and then moved the family down once he was established. We've been there ever since. They've grown all kinds of vegetables, every vegetable down there except tomatoes, and struggled. I mean, there's pictures of me when I was a kid and my dad was growing squash. And you had big tubs you would wash the squash in, and that, that was like my swimming pool. I remember those blue tubs, and they would take plastic bags to plug it, there was a drain hole in it and um that was our swimming pool man like out there in the, at the farm like that's how we grew up playing in the ditches and and at the time it was getting better in my dad's generation um as far as quality of life and and you know lifestyle um was a little bit better and then once they hit on watermelons um we found our niche you know that was what they were looking for um pretty fortunate i think at the beginning from what they say to to make money that first year and it's a lot like racing. If you can get in and have one good race, if you can have one good year in farming, you probably make it. Because there's a lot of money going out before the money comes exactly. in, right? And yeah. even back then, it was it was a different uh, pay structure. So when they were growing watermelons, they would grow, harvest, pack, and bulk in the semi-trailer. So where you had to bulk, just lay on the floor with like hay or whatever. And, and they would pack them and line them up towards the road, and, and they didn't have them sold. And buyers would come by for chain stores and stuff and, you know, whatever, and, and look at them and decide, you know, on a Wednesday, he would decide, you know, the guy would come by, look, yeah, I need three trailers. 
or yeah, next week I'm going to need five trailers. But they would, they just, and sometimes they would rot sitting there and never sell. Now there's contracts. We, we plan it out. We know what we're planting. At least racing, if it rains, we all just wait and we race on Monday. When it rains at the farm, it's your livelihood mm. and it could kill everything. Uh, one hailstorm come in, if you're ready to harvest and a hailstorm comes through, which happens in Florida, as crazy as it sounds, but it, it, it could wipe out everything and it's, a lot of a lot of tough nights and sleepless nights, and because you could you you put out so much going into the season, and right before you harvest, that there's a oh, there's a window there where, if it fails, which we have try to have as many safeguards in as we can, but if Mother Nature is the one the one thing we can't control, could take out everything. And, yeah. and I'm not just saying that for the story; that is the God's honest truth. So it makes racing seem really easy. Yeah, by comparison, farming I'm sure has a lot more risk uh, in many ways yeah. involved in it. What's the name of the company, uh, Ross, that your family has? My dad and my brother, and what I'm tied into as much as I can in the winter time when I'm down there is uh, JDI. So um, that just means that stands for just do it. Um, when my dad was young and getting going, he would go into town and, and pick up uh, labor for the day to do stuff, and, and you know just guys that didn't have jobs. Um, wherever they were at in town and, and they'd ride in the back of the pickup truck out the farm and he'd take them back in and pay them cash and, and, and they would complain or people, you know, different people. Then as they got crews coming in that would work all year for us, they'd complain about the work or anything. And he, and, and he his, they always made fun of him because his thing like, just do it. And he would just walk away. Like they'd say, Oh, it's, it's too hot. I need to take a break. Do what you gotta do. Like just, just take your break or whatever, but like get the work done. Just do it. So that's what he ended up naming the farm. It's, it's cool to, have the support of the whole industry because it's bigger than just our family. It's mm -hmm. a huge family. And we get together every year. Each state does. that has a significant amount of watermelons. And that's the states you'll see on my car that sponsor me some. Uh, and then there's a national group um, that represents everybody. And then there's a national promotion board that promotes watermelons. Um, that's a part of that association. So it's a huge family. They were obviously over the top that I would take watermelons with me to Victory Lane and you know, I didn't stand there with a Coke or, you know, whatever in Victory Lane. I stand there and held a watermelon. Like, it was actually not even supposed to happen like that. I was I wanted to stand up with it and bust it right there in Victory Lane. But I looked at the fl at the ground when I pulled in, and they had, like, a plastic corrugated material. And I was like, that watermelon juice is going to go in there, and it's never coming out. <laughs> and these you track guys Las Vegas Motor are going to – Yeah, I was like, <laughs> they'll, they'll never get it out. So I, I then when I busted it out on the track, I picked up a big piece that landed right side up. And, and ate it right there, and it honestly never did taste sweeter. It, it was it was <laughs> kind of a play on words, but it, it really it never – it was like, wow, that tastes really good. Like I was pretty hot and thirsty and tasted good. You know your watermelon too. So yeah. you, you always bring a watermelon with you. Obviously not for the purposes of smashing no. in Victory Lane when no. you're driving for premium or Johnny right. Davis Motorsports, but just to have it for yep. the crew guys. The crew the guys, yep. Yeah. We just cut it up. We have watermelon queens come a lot. They're part of the, the association. Having watermelon from pit crews and, and stuff is um, just an added bonus to uh, keep everybody ready to race. The watermelon farm also is a big part of your career, Ross, because four and a half years ago, when it looked like your career was over, you went back and regrouped. And that came after you said you were fired at Martinsville. So I was looking up the stats, and at that truck race at Martinsville, if I've got this correct, you qualified 13th and finished 14th? Yep. How do you get fired yeah. after finishing 14th at Man. Martinsville? I, that's a, that's what was so crazy. Is it, and it all started at Daytona, right? So we went there. Um, I'd been at BKR the year before. Probably all started. I made a comment pre-race 
it was rain delayed, so we were filling time. So we, I went in the studio and uh, did an interview, and it was. Then they were asking me about the transition from BKR to them, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, I brought a notebook with me. You know, we, we're gonna we're gonna run good. We're gonna run probably 15 races this year, the first couple, and then see how it goes." And and they got so upset with me that I had said I had brought a notebook, like they didn't know what they were doing, and that's probably where it all started. Looking back, then the race, I pushed Timothy Peters in the red horse truck, in the outside line by Kyle Busch, he gets the lead. I only need, I only need a, another corner and another straightaway to follow him, and I and I could get down with him, and then we could be leading the race. He would be leading, I'd be second, and he pulls down in front of in front of Kyle. I get hung out. I go back to tenth. Parker Kligerman pulls out in a one-off truck deal he had, and I start pushing him, and I can tell he's moving around more than Timothy was, like his truck was, and I'm like, all right, but we're still. We're, I'm going to. The, I'm gonna. I'm going to pass Timothy now. Like, that made me mad. I bump Parker wrong getting in turn one. I turn him sideways. He hooks Mason Mingus. We all go up in the wall. Daryl Wallace gets caught up in it. We all hit the wall a ton, and I caused this huge wreck. They were very upset. I made some comments after the race that mine and Parker's truck weren't handling as well as, like, mine and Timothy's when we were together. The team got upset that I said that, and and it was wrong. We make good. We go to Martinsville. They feel like they have a race-winning truck, and we qualify 13th and whatever, finish 14th. And they said that the truck was good enough to win, that I couldn't get it done. So the owner and the crew chief sat me down. Um, the crew chief was living out in California, so he was there. The owner was um, there. I was in his office, and um, they both just on the phone and to my face just said, "No, oh, it's it's over. You need to you just need to go back to farm." And, and I asked them both, "You agree with each other?" And they said, "Yes." And I said, "Okay, I'll get my stuff." I was living down there. And I was like, all right, I'll thank you for the opportunity. I'm sorry it didn't work out. And um, that was tough. Right. It was really tough. But it was um, the best thing that ever happened because um, I did have to look at a lot of things. And businesses and, and people and jobs fail all the time. And you find where you fit in. And I didn't fit in there. So so that was uh, that was how I got my opportunity with Johnny Davis. So there's a couple of dominoes that fell the wrong way. But I started a chain coming back. Right, that that start, it really worked out. That eventually led here, and you said that you felt like you could do things a different way in NASCAR, and I guess that's versus getting sponsorship and taking that to a team. You felt like you right. could get a team to invest in you and believe in you, and that's essentially it was my only option. Your only option. I, yeah. I haven't done a good enough job on the on Monday to Thursday to to be able to bring something. I mean, it's just my own fault. It's it's our own team's fault. Back in Florida, the team I have up here. We just never could put it all together until now. And now getting up to speed with the Carpoffs, understanding their business with DC Solar and trying to wrap my arms fully into that because that's what a that's what I feel like I need to do as a race car driver to be successful on the racetrack is do my job Monday to Thursday mm-hmm. with somebody like Jeff Carpoff and learn from him and Paulette. They are they are incredible at what they do, and I have so much to learn still. Um, but their team has gotten me up to speed on their business and and it's something I I hope I can contribute to and and we're going to try really hard um to do that. Um it helps that we have a trophy now to show off, you know, first of all, um when we when we have these meetings. But I had no other choice other than to try to prove on the racetrack to somebody that I belonged. Um but it's not fair. It's not like I deserved this opportunity. I mean, there's guys and fast trucks that ran circles around me, that late models that ran, I mean, they would lap me like I was nothing. And in the truck series, in the Xfinity series, there's guys that outdrive me. But for 
different reasons, it's it's worked out on on where we can put the whole package together, where we make up for it on the business side, or we make up for it on the racetrack versus somebody else, and um, and it's obviously worked out really well. Well, you say you don't feel like you deserve the opportunity, but at the same time, you're not taking any money to do it. You you told us after winning at Vegas. Yeah, I didn't I mean to really say that. Huge <laughs> revelation. <laughs> I said it, and I was like, if I could take those words, I could see them out there. I wanted to grab them. Well, understandably, people were very interested in that and very yeah. curious about it because uh, that's not something that you're used to hearing a, or an Xfinity race winner say. Right. Uh, it's kind of like an internship. When you're young, you'll do anything to get the job you want. Whatever you can do to integrate yourself in and be the best employee you can, you'll there's interns all over the place. But you say that, and you know I understand the unpaid internship analogy. I appreciate that, but I mean you're winning an Xfinity race. <laughs> I right. mean, have you heard from anybody who said, "Hey, I feel like you might be devaluing yourself here." I mean, that might hurt the well. greater good. That eventually, you know, all drivers might get less because you're willing to take less and and win races. Times are changing, man. You're not gonna make the money they used to. Granted, I, it's a business. Everybody wants to make money in life, and and you mm -hmm. have to. You have to live. You have to be able to do things. It's just tough luck. That's just how it is. Like you're just not yeah. going to make the money, even in Xfinity. There's so many people. They're just, they're just paying out of pocket. You know, they, they'll put something on the car. It's tough facts of life. I hate to talk about it because people don't want me to. I didn't say, all right, you know, Jeff, Paulette, look, you're gonna you're gonna pay all this money, and Chip can ask you're gonna put in all these this effort and, and these man hours to go run this race. They, I need to get paid. Like that's crazy. You cr are you kidding me? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that. When they said there's not money to get paid, I said, great. I I just want a trophy, and I want to get you a trophy, and that's all. That's all there is to it. So, I'm in the minority when it comes to not taking any financial backing. I mean, the Xfinity series is is way heavily into guys bringing money, and and I, I'm not. I don't want to call anybody out, but that's just the fact of it. And and guys that. You know the the model is like oh well if I if I bring the team this much they'll pay me this percentage back and it's like it's such a flawed system to I mean you can wrap your head around it and tell yourself it's a great thing but um, I want to do right by the team and, and the the people that are supporting the team and, and that are heavily invested into making the team go I'm in the minority when I'm not pay paying to drive these races and and a lot of people think I am and I don't correct them a lot of times because it honestly keeps other drivers with sponsorship away because this is a very evil business. There's people all the time that are, oh, we can do it. They'll reach out to my sponsors. Oh, we can do a better job or the best was. We can make our cup car look just like Ross's Xfinity car. Make it look just like it. And, and then you'll be in the cup race and it'll be cheaper than the Xfinity race. And it's like, okay, well, I'll just go run the cup race. And that's how my cup deal got going last year. So um, in the top that, best sponsorship story I ever had was we ran Indianapolis was my very first race and I feel like I can be honest on here right yeah sure and uh <laughs> it's it's I've told the story a little bit so I ran my first race at Indianapolis finished 10th with turn one Stacy Compton Cole Witt and the Red Bull truck finishes eighth he's all torn up I finished 10th I was scratch on the truck did my first restarts uh in a national deal did my first live pit stops ever I was using the clutch to shift I didn't know what I was doing we finished 10th Bristol was announced as our, you know, we knew going in was our next race. The National Watermelon Association and Promotion Board got a nice little letter from NASCAR offering them to sponsor the Bristol truck race. They could have Ross in the 66 truck, and they could have the sponsorship of the race. 
That letter didn't come to me. It was never asked, you know, run by me, run by the team. No, None of us knew about it. But I got a nice, less than a minute after it came to them, they saw it pop up. They forwarded it to me and said, hey, what, what's this about? You know what? We don't have the sponsorship for this. We're, we barely put this program together with you. We never brought up NASCAR. It, it was just probably that somebody in their business development side that, that maybe they do that with everybody. I don't know. It never happened again. But that but put you at risk. It, maybe it was like it opened that. my eyes yeah. to like, okay, I can play ball. Yeah. I can play ball real well, <laughs> and and we will. We know that now, and I'm I'm glad it happened so early because it really taught us a lot. So the rules of the game, Ross, are essentially there's less money to go around, but the whole pie has shrunk a little bit, and so drivers are just going to have to take less. That's something that you and sounds like many in your generation are just accepting of right. that the days of cup stars making eight or ten million dollars a year and there being several in that strata on the premier series are gone for your generation well i wasn't around for those times um if i wanted to make money i would have stayed at the farm and we'd have grown more (laughs) acres and sold more watermelons you know the business side of racing is what it is and um i mean look around this place man like uh, it's still surreal to be here um and be a part of this uh and and to not to just to be a hired driver is a very small group of guys that, that get to do that these days. As you said, we're sitting here Chip Ganassi racing, but you've got one race left, Richmond, on Friday. Any chance for more races with them or a greater alliance with them or DC Solar getting involved now that you're an Xfinity winner? And obviously you're going to have a better chance here as the playoffs begin at a championship if you have more help going right. down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, I've had really good conversations uh, with people here in the shop and, and Jeff Karpoff, you know, with DC Solar uh, recently. But obviously, Darlington didn't hurt. In the fans' eyes, I probably gained more after Darlington, even though we finished 25th, than I did for winning Vegas, honestly. Like, people were happy that I won, but I had more outpouring of support after Darlington. So all that attention has helped probably, you know, in different ways, both races. But no, there's um I'll run this weekend, man, and then back in the poor cart, you know, at the Roval and, and then Dover is more where you get back into the natural uh races for the rest of the year and so um no man, I, we have so much more to prove on the four car. Can you win the championship, Ross, in the four car? When I walked in the playoff media day yesterday, uh at Charlotte Motor Speedway, uh I was hung up with a, a prior commitment we had and, and I told them beforehand I was gonna be late and, and they were waiting on me. Um, they got a little aggravated, but I, I I got there when I could. And I walked in, and they were all, like, clapping. I was like, oh, bet y'all didn't expect to see me here. <laughs> like, you know, all the other guys expected to be in the playoffs. And, and there I am um, in my Flex Seal suit representing JD Motorsports because that's what got me there. Can we win? It's um, unlikely. You know, when they asked me, uh, it's you and pick your three other drivers that you compete against at Homestead. So well, this will be the only time I'm picked, you know, right? <laughs> I mean, no one's expecting that. So no, our goal was to make the playoffs. If you're not confident that you can go beat people, you know, whatever the standards are for beating who you need to beat, you don't need to be doing this. So we have every intention of trying to go do it, but we we we're chasing it, man. Everything we got and, and trying to raise every dollar um, with the partners we have to step up um, for the attention we're getting. Uh, and new partners to bring in, you know. It all ties back to business, man, and, and, and that's what I've embraced, and I know that, and um, it's not
not the fun thing to talk about, but it's the right thing, and it's what's important. Good luck with the business end. Good luck with Thank the racetrack you. end. And uh, thanks for giving me so much of your time and insight yeah, here, Dick. Can't wipe the smile off my <laughs> face, man. And <laughs> Appreciate you, Ross. Jeff Dowling setting this up. The NASCAR NBC podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a rating or review if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us out. And as always, if you have any feedback, you can send it to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.